Paul the Apostle said to the Corinthians, I determined not to do anything among you save Jesus Christ. And he didn't stop there to save save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Um... What can we do for the Lord Jesus Christ? What can we do? He's done it all. He's delivered us from our sin. He saved us unto all eternity. What can we do now? I'm more impressed now in my life to serve the Lord as best I can in the way in which, within the parameters that he has given me, to serve him. Uh, Brother Stephen gave us the advice last week. Uh, the best time to start preparing for Sunday service is when we leave the Sunday service. So when you leave today, we start preparing for the next one. So I'm always chewing on something, always meditating, contemplating something in my heart. And when I don't, I'm normally distracted for one reason or another. So let's pray that the Lord will bless the reading and the uh, small portion of word that I'd like to share with you in 10 or 15 minutes at the most. I don't have my watch So if somebody does to me some hand signals, that would be great. The scripture says in verse 1, after two days was the feast of the Passover. Now remember, the most important thing at that junction is to note that it was on the Passover that the Lord must die. Must die. Crucifixion is a very important subject in the Old Testament. We learn more about the details in Psalms 22 than anywhere in the gospel accounts. Crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ was a notable day because God so determined it to be. It's something that the Apostle Paul not only mentioned to the Corinthians, but we did this morning. It's something that we center around. It's the masterpiece, if you will, the ornament that sets on the table. Uh, We don't honor the method or mode or manner in which the Lord died. It was in a horrific death. A a crucifixion was a torture. It lasted a long time. In fact, it was supposed to last up to seven days. There hanging on the cross, a man would be deprived of just most but not all of his oxygen as he leaned on his feet, his hands being weary of being nailed to the tree without strength and trying to keep himself Lifted so he could have passage in his uh, lungs. And so it was a torturous, dying death that lasted a long time. Pilate was marveled that on the very day that he was nailed to the cross, the Lord Jesus gave up the ghost. He marveled. He asked the centurion, is this so? And he sent him that way to make sure. When Joseph of Arimathea came to him and craved, the scripture says, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here in this particular case, we're just ahead of the crucifixion. Two days, it says, was the feast of the Passover. Now, what followed the Passover was seven days 
of another festival called the Unleavened Bread Festival of Unleavened Bread. These are very prominent feasts, and sometimes they're grouped together. So you had three major feasts that, of course, every man uh, of of Israel was required by the law to attend. And this was a very important one. The Lord obviously is not going to miss this one. Now, in the previous or other accounts uh, we have uh, noted uh, for us in other portions of Scripture may give us different detail and stuff like that. And uh, in John's case, they came to Bethany about a week before the Lord would be crucified. And uh, it's interesting how that there are different portions of Scripture that speak to the same thing. And I just want to reiterate a very important principle that we've mentioned before, and that is even though the different gospel accounts may shed different light or use different terms or share different information, it doesn't mean that they contradict one another. It's as if Brother Steve got up here and preached on the death of Christ, Brother Chuck, and then maybe um, you know somebody else preached on the death of Christ. They all used the same text, but they all said different things. As long as they have a, thus saith the Lord, nothing could be contradictory. So what they do, however, is complement Compliment. So anyway, we have the unleavened bread here, and the chief priests and the scribes sought. Notice how they might take him by craft. That word craft in the original is where we get the word hook. This word has the idea of deceit, of snagging, like a fish hook. Do you think a fish is deceived when it bites the hook, takes the bait? Well, so it is with the chief priests, those that are in religious authority and power. They're seeking to undermine the Lord Jesus Christ. Now they have, throughout the course of his ministry, they sought to murder him. That's the powers that be. But they have a problem. Notice verse 2. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And here's the irony amidst this great battle that has been forecasted, prefigured, by the entirety of the Old Testament. It's amazing, isn't it? The purpose for which the Lord came was to die on our behalf. He was born to die, you could say. But what's amazing to me is the information provided us in the Old Testament. Even before mankind was cursed for his sin, when Adam took of the forbidden fruit, before he himself was judged, God promised a redeemer, a seed of the woman, who would bruise the heel of Satan, although, excuse me, the head of Satan, although Satan himself would bruise the heel of the Lord, a picture of the crucifixion. And we see a continual amount of images in the Old Testament. The serpent of brass, we've mentioned before, the smitten rock, there in the wilderness. We see the continual tabernacle services, all those apparatuses and pieces of furniture, the, the uh, mercy seat, the sacrificial lambs, all that displayed the crucifixion of the Lord. We see Psalms 22, the most detailed account in the Bible of the crucifixion, mentioning items that never before were realized until this particular day. We see, we see Isaiah 53. We see Zechariah chapter 13 where the sword... Of God will smite my shepherd. So we see this imagery forecasted of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But not on the feast day. 
And here's the irony. In all the intentions of the leaders to kill the Lord, they couldn't do it on the feast day. And it's coming. It's fast approaching. But what is going on behind the scenes? Whose unseen hand is orchestrating these events for the purpose of the salvation of his people? Him, the Lord, being delivered up by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye, you Jews, have taken. By wicked hands, you Romans, and have crucified and slain. Acts 2 and 23. So make no mistake about it, no matter how chaotic this may seem to appear, the purposes of God are forthright and they are being accomplished. It's amazing to watch and to imagine this. The forces of darkness, Satan entering into Judas, guiding the men who were in the leadership of the Sanhedrin in pursuit, how they might subtly take the Lord and kill him. Now, what's really neat in another portion is the night when they will spend the Passover together, the Lord sends out two disciples, right, to find that place where they would find a a table set to to have the Passover amongst themselves. And Judas was present when when he gave the command to go to this place. But he didn't reveal the address, did he? And I just see in the back of my mind that had he done it, Judas would have been informed of the location and possibly have told the scribes and the priests where exactly they may take Jesus in the privacy and in the secrecy. You see, they didn't want the uproar. They didn't want the riot. They didn't want the the Passover being um, uh, somehow uh, disinfected, if you will, by the death, the crucifixion of a very popular man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. They could not do this. They must take him secretly and craftily. And so what was done uh, by God's purposes thwarted the wrath of man and his intentions, you see, all for the glory of God. And so I find that a wonderful uh, irony. There's many ironies of the cross, by the way. But in the midst of all what is going on, just prior to this wonderful, wonderful event that will take place, the most important event in the course of human history, When all eternity fastened its eyes, all the angelic host fastened its eyes on the greatest event in the history of mankind, that the Lord God, God himself, manifest in the flesh, would die the death of a sinner without sin, having taken upon himself the sin of his own people. And there, uh, a great expiatory sacrifice settle and appease the wrath of God on our behalf. This is what was taking a place. And the Lord Jesus Christ had set his face like a flint. He was purposed in heart to achieve the salvation of his people. When Satan entered into Peter, Peter said, that's not going to happen, not on my watch. And he told Peter to get behind me, Satan, because thou savorest not the works of God. Thou savorest the works of man. You see, it was the purpose of God. Don't think that the crucifixion of our Lord was nothing more uh, It was nothing less than the power of God, the magnificent design of God orchestrated for the purpose of the salvation of his people. It wasn't something that just happened. Well, there in this house, and I'll close with this, because it's a wonderful act which displays again 
the beauty of love that we have toward Christ. And I'm going to ask again as I close, what have we done? What can we do for what the Lord's done for us? Now listen, obviously he's not asking us to pay for any salvation because the only, I mean, the only thing that we possibly can uh, muster up is a debt that we cannot pay. The wages of sin is death. There's no hope for mankind. So when I say, what can we do for Christ? It's in response to what He's done for us. It's the love of God in us that returns unto whence it came. And so we have Mary in the house here in Bethany, the house of Simon the leper. Very popular name, not Simon the Pharisee. This is not another woman. This is Mary. This is the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus, who here is sitting at the table. What could she do? She did a whole lot. If you remember, she took an alabaster box of ointment, precious ointment, spinknard, nard, from the east, somewhere, China, India, I don't know, but it's very valuable, very precious. In this alabaster box, which in and of itself is wonderful. An alabaster box is like marble. It's a precious mineral stone, very soft. You can chisel it. I can cut plaster. I can scribe a line and chisel it. Up and that line will break it clear. It's beautiful. Very, very, very soft. And yet, it'll do exactly what you want with the right guidelines. And so this alabaster box, very beautiful, translucent, translucent stone. Within it was a precious oil, spinknard, used, used for multiple purposes. But in particular, it would be used upon those who would be buried because the perfume and the odor was powerful. But what did she do? Did she delicately pour it out a drip at a time? You know, you and I might, because it was worth a lot of money. Here in the text, it says it's very precious, very valuable. 300 pence, a year's salary, by defined by the word itself. A year's salary. There was 5,000 on one occasion that needed food. And the disciples said, all we have... Well, what we need, he said, but we didn't have enough. But what we need, we need 200 pennies to handle 5,000 people. So you can imagine what 300 pence was worth. That's how much the spinknard was worth. That's a lot of money. But you know what Mary did? She did, the Bible says, what she could do. You know, she displayed an act of loving kindness toward the Lord. With respect to what? With his purpose. The disciples may have loved Jesus for his purpose, but they were far removed from his understanding his work. And on this particular occasion, in another account, I believe the disciples showed that they were indignant. Judas said, I'll need that money for the poor. Pretty good act, right? That would have been a good deed. But the Lord said, you know, the poor you have always with you. You're not going to have me that long. And what she did honored my death. But we knew what really was in the heart of Judas. John tells us he held the bag. He was the treasurer. And he would, he would take the liberty on occasions to partake of that for his own selfish greed. But if you really think the disciples and Judas bore both the same spot. Both of them. They were... The disciples were indignant. They said on one occasion, this is a waste of money. 
And Judas wanted to steal the money for himself. But Mary, bless her heart, she took that alabaster box and she broke it open. John says, poured it on her feet, washed his feet with her hair. In our account in Mark, she poured it on his head, anointing his head for burial. The Bible says, the Lord said, in testimony to her and her love, that this will be a memorial to her and her faith and her love and her act of kindness and charity in reference to the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. What have you done in, what have you done in reference to the dying death of our Lord Jesus Christ? What have we done? What time left do we have on this earth to demonstrate a light shone forth for His glory to honor His death? May the Lord bless you. I hope that we thank the Lord for the blessing of having Elder Aquino in our midst and worship with us here at Mount Carmel. Brother Steve has about 30 years' experience among the Primitive Baptists and has been blessed to minister many, many people. And I thank the Lord for the gift that Elder Aquino has and for the blessing of having him here at Mount Carmel. A great, great blessing. Good message. Great message. Thank the Lord for his good message. Want to look at a verse and we'll, if the Lord will bless us, we'll kind of break it down just a little bit. It's a familiar verse. I spoke on this a little bit the other uh, night on a Wednesday several weeks ago, but uh, want to look at it in a little bit more detail. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, a familiar verse. It says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's four areas that I'd like to look at if the Lord would bless us. Let us therefore come boldly, number one, unto the throne of grace, number two, that we may obtain mercy, number three, and find grace to help in time of need, number four. This message was originally prepared for a group in Albuquerque was going out there uh, the second weekend of January. And a dear friend of mine uh, that was uh, one of the uh, initial folks to start and opened his home up to have services in his home, has been, uh, he's been suffering from MS for about 40 years and lived in his home. He opened his home up to have services there. He does not have any family at all. He's 75 years old. And he now has an advanced, um, I believe it's leukemia. And the doctors have given him about two months to live. He was used of the Lord as a catalyst for the little group in Albuquerque. And so I prayed that God would bless me with something that might be helpful to him and to them. When I arrived, the setting was different and the situation changed to the point that I never delivered this message. We normally meet in a conference room at a, at a hotel and 
this brother was unable to travel. He's now in a nursing home, mentally very fit. Uh, just physically, his body is, is, is gone. So we went to the nursing home, and there was um, uh, a, a little community room that we gathered in. And I, I went early, and I asked him, I said, is there anybody else here in the uh, nursing home that might enjoy uh, coming and worshiping with us? Uh, in addition to the little group that we that we worship with. And I said, is there anyone else? And he said, no. He said, uh, most of the folks do not have uh, the mental ability to comprehend that are here. And he said, uh, in fact, he said, there's one lady that I've, I've never seen her smile. Well, the room that we met in, the little group began to gather, and the room that we met in had glass windows all around one side of it. And so folks would go by as we were singing hymns in their wheelchairs, and they would come to the door, and they would wait at the door. And one by one, we would open the door, and these folks that supposedly didn't have the mental ability to communicate would come in and wanted to hear the hymn singing. And they joined in on the hymn singing. Before long, we had a group of about 20 plus folks that were gathered there. And uh, about 10 or 11 of them are in wheelchairs lined up in the front. And so my thoughts on delivering the message changed to primarily singing hymns because they could relate and enjoyed the hymn singing. They were rejoicing. And the brother said, the lady that never smiles, he looked over and she was smiling. So we sort of changed the format a little bit. And, and I, I thought, what is there that they might be able to relate to or communicate with? And I said, uh, let's talk about the things of the Lord just a minute. And I said, does anybody here have anything that you're thankful for? One lady raised her hand. I didn't know if they could even communicate. She said, I'm thankful for my children. I'm thankful for my grandchildren. Another little lady raised her hand and she said, I'm thankful that I've got a good warm place to live. Another lady said, I'm thankful that I have plenty to eat. Another lady raised her hand and she said, and by the way, the women outnumbered the men. I don't know if there's something to that or not. They live longer or, or what, but it was all women. One older gentleman. She said, I'm thankful for the caregivers. She said, I receive wonderful care, and I'm thankful for the caregivers. And this one little lady that never talks at all, she raised her hand and she pointed and she said, I'm thankful for you for letting us sing some songs and worship the Lord. All of a sudden, the time that I spend waiting to change planes, getting discouraged, was wiped away. So, this message, if the Lord's in the matter, 
was meant for them. Didn't deliver it, but I thought it might help you. It helped me. The first part of this perplexed me. It says, let us, it's talking about talking to the Lord. <coughs> Doubt that any of us here talk to the Lord enough. We have all kinds of excuses and reasons that we don't talk to the Lord. But the first thing it says right here is how we come before the Lord when we talk to the Lord. And it says right here, let us therefore come boldly. Now that perplexed me. Maybe because by nature, you might be surprised, but I'm not really a bold person. I used to pray that I would be sick the day that we had to give up, uh, give a uh, recite a poem or something like that in school because I hated to talk in front of people. Of all the people that I'm reluctant to talk in front of, it's the Lord. And for this scripture to say that we are to come boldly before the Lord, it perplexed me because I thought, how can we who are considered as Worms of the earth, as the dust of the earth, how can we merit coming before the Lord boldly? How do we, how do we factor that in? I'll tell you what I, I, I don't think, what I think that it means that we're not to do. Boldly does not mean that we come before the Lord arrogantly. It does not mean that we come before the Lord in a deserving manner. That, Lord, I'm coming to you and I deserve to be heard. It does not mean that we're worthy to come before the Lord. Because we don't come before the Lord based on our own merit. It also does not mean that we are owed anything from the Lord. I might surprise you to inform you that you and I both have already experienced more blessings than we deserve. Amen, amen. We don't deserve ever to experience another blessing from God so we can't boldly come before the Lord and say, Lord, I deserve a blessing. You've already, I've already received more blessings from the Lord than I deserve far more. And you have as well. So we can't come boldly before the Lord. Based on our own self. But we can come boldly before the Lord. And I believe this is what it means right here. We can come before the Lord. With confidence. Confidence not in ourselves, But in the Lord. We can come Boldly unto the Lord because he tells us right here in the verses that are leading up to chapter 16. He says we can come boldly before the Lord because you're in a good position because you have a high priest. You have an advocate with the father. You have one called Jesus Christ 
that's pleading your case that there is there on your behalf. If you ask for something that you don't need, thank goodness you have an advocate that can change it and present it to the Father. Aren't you thankful that you don't always get everything that you ask for? The reason that you don't is because you have a high priest that pleads your case for you. He says right here, he says, uh, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our profession. The reason that you can have uh, boldness in coming before the Lord in holding fast your profession is not because of you, but because of your high priest, Jesus Christ. He says, and then he describes the high priest. He says, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. The way that I understand that, if we, if we look at it in the positive sense, it just simply means that we do have a high priest and he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. What does that mean? It just simply means that he knows what you're dealing with. It means that he cares. That he not only knows, but he cares. He says, we do have a high priest that's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And he says, and by the way, you think you've been tempted? He says, he's been tempted in all points. He's been tempted in ways that you haven't been tempted. He said, he's been tempted in all points like as we are. But there's a big difference between the high priest and ourselves. He says, he's been tempted in all points like as we are. But he says, but he's without sin. You have a high priest that pleads your case and he's sinless. So we can come boldly unto the throne of grace, not based on who we are, but based on who he is. Another reason we can come boldly under the throne of grace. I love John chapter 14, a wonderful, wonderful chapter. Uh, Hit a couple of verses Touch on a couple of verses right here. In John chapter 14, he says, and he's, he's, talking, uh, he's talking to the followers, talking to the disciples. He says, I'm, I'm going to be uh, leaving you. Uh, I'm not going to be here in bodily presence anymore. Uh, Brother Steve preached to us ably about the death and the crucifixion of Christ. And he says, You're, I'm not going to be here in the same fashion that I was with you before. But he says, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. One of the first questions that I was presented at the ordination service a uh, long time ago was, do you believe in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? Well, right here he tells us that he leaves with us the Holy Ghost, the third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And it's not, I love this next portion right here. Because he says to his Disciples that are troubled, and this is Christ delivering this message right here. He says, and I will pray the Father and he shall give you a comforter, another comforter that he may abide with you forever. So we don't have to worry about the comforter not being there. 
But he tells us that it's the Spirit. He says, and, and I love this next portion right here. He says, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. He, he, he's, he's, he's addressing this to the believers and the followers and those of Jesus Christ. He's addressing it to a particular people, those that are chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world. He's addressing it to people that uh, have been made alive in Jesus Christ. And here's what he says comes with this wonderful package deal of spiritual life, of living with Christ. He says, he says, the world knoweth him not, but he said, but you know him. You know who we're talking about. You know before I even describe it that there's something on the inside of you. You may not be able to label it. You may be, not be able to define it. But you know you have it on the inside. And he says right here, he says, you know him. And I love this right here. He says, for he dwelleth with you and he shall be in you. He's not only there around you. He's not only there to go before you and behind you and all around you, but better than that, he's in you. Now, I tell you, it doesn't get any better than that. I don't know about you, but that means a lot to me. So I can go before the throne of grace knowing that there's something on the inside of me that communes with the Lord. He knows even my groanings. I may not be able to put it in the right words. But he knows even my groanings. So when you go before the throne of grace, when you talk to the Lord, you can talk to the Lord confidently knowing that you have a high priest and that he has his spirit dwelling in you. Now that's a wonderful blessing. It is. Second thing. He says, Let, let's... He says, let us therefore, he says, let us therefore come boldly unto what? The throne of grace. The throne of grace. I love this next verse. Um, he says, let us come boldly, number two, unto the throne of grace. When you go and talk to the Lord... You don't have to worry if the Lord is able or equipped or adequate to meet your needs. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. The Apostle Paul says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That throne of grace is in heaven. And you can't exhaust it. It's there for you. You're not going to wear it out. You're not going to run out. But it's there. An abundant supply for you. Now. We had a dear old sister. Had a lot of dear old sisters. We had a dear old sister. Sister Kathy's kind of related to her, Sister Elsie Evans. She lived to be in her early 80s. Before she passed away, she said, Brother Stephen, 
She said, God did not give me all of my wants. But God supplied all my needs. Sometimes we get our wants and our needs confused. But God supplied all of our needs. Can't we all attest to that? I'm glad he didn't give us all our wants. But he gives us all our needs. And he gives it according to his riches in glory. The next one says, let us come, therefore, boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Obtain mercy. Anybody here need mercy? If you don't, then you probably want what you think you deserve. But thank goodness. Anybody here ever gotten a speeding ticket? Probably everybody here but Brother Mark. He's, he used to have this little pass card that helped him, and I thought, I wonder how I'd get one of those. And uh, you know, I, I've uh, I've challenged my tickets not because I was uh, uh, not guilty, but I wanted the opportunity to take defensive driving or or some other course. Uh, so that I wouldn't get points on my record. And several times I've, not, not recently, but you know, I've been before the judge. And you know, when I went before the judge, one of the things I was hoping that he'd give me, not what I deserved, but I was hoping he'd give me some mercy. Did you know that Our high priest, Jesus Christ, is full of mercy. Aren't you thankful he doesn't give us what we deserve? But what he gives us is based on his mercy. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us that he is the God of all comfort and the father of all mercies. His mercy is says in Psalm 103, let's just turn there, really, really good, really good verses. Uh, Psalm 103, a couple of places here. Psalm 103, verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. And here's another way that I'm glad he's not like us. Anybody here have a hot button? I'm so glad there's no hot buttons here. I know some of you. (laughs) And you know me. The Lord is merciful and gracious. And here's another good description about the Lord. He's slow to anger. If he gets upset with you, it's probably because you've been continual. It says the Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger. And he says, and by the way, he is plenteous in mercy. You've got a merciful God that is plenteous in mercy. Goes down and uh, mentions again. uh, Verse uh, 17 says, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting 
to everlasting and upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. The Lord is merciful to you and he's merciful to your, to your children as well. He says, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and that we might find grace to help in time of need. Let's talk just a minute about the grace that we find. I love the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Psalm 94, verse 14 says, For the Lord will not cast off his people, neither will he forsake his inheritance. The Lord knows his people, and he loves his people, and he sheds mercy and grace upon his people. Verse 22 says, but the Lord is my defense and, and my God is the rock and my, of my refuge. Psalm 102 verse 17. I love this verse. He says, he will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. That's, that's grace for the Lord to hear the prayer of the destitute. What's destitute? Someone that's destitute might be destitute of worldly possessions. It's not always what destitute means, but it, it certainly can mean that. Not have provisions. Brother Compton said that they went to visit an elderly couple that Hadn't been to church in a long time. And he said they were so poor. Said all they had was a little bit of change. And a little bit of coffee in the coffee can. Not any food in the refrigerator. And he felt impressed to start a poor and needy fund. And God blessed that. The Lord probably still using it today. Columbia Church. But they were destitute of worldly provisions. Some folks are destitute of family. Brother in Albuquerque has does not have any family. An uncle that lives in an uncle that's older lives in Louisiana, many, many miles away. Some folks are destitute of family. Some folks are destitute of friends. Now, if you're destitute of friends, there's a solution for that. It says a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. You want friends, you be friendly, and you'll have more friends. That's what the verse means. Some people are destitute of health. It troubled Brother Justice Epen when we went to the nursing home over here at Christmas time. And we went through the nursing home and sang hymns to those poor old people that were destitute of health. The scripture says that the Lord hears the prayer of the destitute. That's good news. You may feel destitute for one reason or another, and you may be. But if you're in that condition, there's good news for you. Because the Lord's promised that he'll hear the prayer of the destitute. God has grace upon his people. 
How can we come boldly before the throne of grace? We come boldly because we know who represents us. We know his abundance of power and glory. We can come boldly before the throne of grace because Paul tells us. He says, I can do all things through Christ. Which strengtheneth me. Talk to the Lord. He's not impressed with our fancy words. In fact, he says he's not impressed with our long speeches. He's not impressed to be seen of others. He desires the petitions and pleas of the heart of his needy people. He doesn't need us, but we need him. I miss Sister Lee, and I'm looking forward. Brother Tom said maybe next Sunday she'll be able to come back. Remember, we used to have on on New Year's Eve, we would sing in the new year, and different ones would give testimonies. And not one New Year's Eve, Sister Lee gave her testimony about coming to church and her relationship with the Lord. And she said, the Lord taught me that I needed him. We're a needy people. We have this wonderful blessing of being able to talk to the Lord, come before his throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help he says, in our time of need. Lord knows your need even before you ask. And the Lord's able to supply your need, no matter what that is. May God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 10.30 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.